0: Good morning. Hey, I want to give a special shout-out to Rob Major and the team. You guys are fantastic. Yeah. I'll say this. Pastor Jonathan always gets my table for me. So, there's that. Right? I'm not saying it's special or anything. I'm just saying, like, this type of setup is usually already done, but... Figured this was a little bit more couth than my nutrition factory shaker blender cup. So there we go. Hey, good morning. How are we doing? Thank you, Pastor Barbie. All right, I get so nervous. It doesn't matter how many times I do this, and I blame Tammy Sweeney for this, okay? I'll send everybody in the early gathering. But a lot of you don't know who Tammy Sweeney is. Tammy Sweeney, uh, anointed worship leader, teacher, uh, faithful servant of God, was in this house for many, many, many moons. Um, and the first time I was going to come out here, I was like, Pastor Jonathan, I was like, I'm going to throw up. This is terrible. My heart, was, my heart was beating out of my chest. And she was like, I pray you never lose that. And it's never, I was like, why would you pray that over me? Why would you say that? You don't say that to somebody. And she said that, and now it doesn't matter. It was like, a, it was like a, an announcement. It was not even like a sermon or anything. And now every time I come out, I'm going, oh God, oh God, oh God, I get so nervous. And I'm like the most outgoing person. But the reason I get nervous is because I'm handling God's word. And if I don't have enough pressure in my own life, right? There's a verse in here that talks about how teachers will be judged more harshly. And I'm like, dadgummit, I get extra. I got, I'm responsible for you and me now. So it's a heavy burden. Just let me work through what I'm working through. Um, Um, We are continuing in our Kingdom Seeker series. We're going to be uh, talking about the parable of the unmerciful servant this morning. So if you would and you're able, please uh, stand with me and we're going to read together um, our passage. This is chapter uh, 18 of Matthew. This is verses 21 through 35. Are we ready? Are we ready? Okay. All right, here we go. "'Then Peter came up and said to him, "'Lord, how often will my brother sin against me "'and I forgive him, as many as seven times?' "'Jesus said to him, "'I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times.'" Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly father would do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life that it gives. God, we even thank you that it cuts us in order to heal us. And I pray if there's any area of our heart and in our life that you want to do a work in today, that we would be open to an encounter with you because you love us. And so we're thankful for this opportunity to, to dig into your word and to see what you have for us, God. May we be changed forever into the likeness of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So this is a this passage, this parable, this is part of a larger conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And just like they came to him at the very end and was like, "We need to know who's going to be the top dog around here." This is literally how the chapter starts out. They come to Jesus and like, "Hey Jesus, we got a question." Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Okay, This seemed to be a common theme with the disciples. They wanted to know who, which guy is going to be the top dog. And Jesus, um, says to them, he describes the kingdom and how it works. He brings to him a little child. He says, unless you're like this little child, these are, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And then he gives them a a series of short parables. He likens it to the greatest being like little children. He warns them against temptation. Um, he talks about the lost sheep and forgiveness, right? And, um, uh, and there's three things i want us to look at this morning as we as we look through this text okay what what can we learn about god what can we learn about ourselves and what do we do with this information Okay. The third part is just as important as the first two, right? Because knowing and doing are two completely different things. If I know the right thing to do and do not do it, it did not matter that I knew what to do. In fact, it's even worse because I knew the right thing to do and failed to do it. So just knowing things about God and understanding things about ourselves, if there's no application, then it really doesn't mean it's just more information for us to have, So those are the things we're gonna look at this morning. So prior to Peter's question, prior to Peter asking um, how many times I gotta forgive my brother, Jesus lays out a framework for um, conflict resolution. This is the passage where he talks about um, if your brother sins against you, you go to your brother. And then if he won't listen to you, then you, go, you can go get the elders. And if he won't listen to the elders, then you take him out back and you have a stern conversation with him. That's not in there, but that's how, that's how it does. It's done in Tennessee, okay? For decades. Don't try to change us the way we've been doing things, right? Um but then this is what Peter says. He says, he says, he says, how long do I gotta keep doing this cycle of forgiveness? How long do I gotta forgive? Because according to the Pharisees, three times was a good enough was a good enough uh uh three in a row of forgiveness, right? So however many licks it takes to get to the center of a tootsie roll pop is the same amount of times that you're supposed to forgive somebody couple of y'all know that owl sitting on that branch. Ben, you got it, right? <laughs> Look, young kids, YouTube that, right? <laughs> Stinking owl bit the whole candy off, right? Got me breaking molars on a Tootsie Pop. <laughs> but that's how many times the Pharisees believed you're supposed to forgive somebody. Three times, that's sufficient. And so Peter, in his piety, goes above and beyond, right? <laughs> Three times? Seven times, Jesus. And Jesus, like, wow, big spender. All right. Um, Seven times. Peter was attempting to go above and beyond. But here's my question Was there a theology or something, uh, a belief that he had that was taught uh, to him by someone? And was he trying to validate his belief on the subject of forgiveness? See, one of two things really happens when we attempt to validate our beliefs, okay? When you seek information to validate your beliefs, one of these two things will happen if we eventually find the truth. One, if our belief about a subject is right and you come to find the truth, your belief will be validated by the truth that you have discovered. But if your belief is wrong, the truth you find will burst your bubble, deflate your ego, but you will be a better person if you take dressing from it. Peter, Peter brought his belief about forgiveness to God. And this, when we bring our beliefs and our understanding about God to him, we can do it one of two ways. We can bring our beliefs like this and he can't show us anything new or he can't take anything that's not right or accurate out of your hand. But if we come to God like this and say, God, is there anything about your character or nature that, that I need to learn or that I need to unlearn? Then my hand is open so you can move. You can move through. Or do we have a closed hand theology? Peter may have been attempting to validate his belief that seven times was sufficient, but what happens when Jesus comes and is like, hey, big guy, it's actually 70 times seven. Look at Jesus. He always likes to go above and beyond, don't he, right? Right? We started off the Sermon on the Mount, and he was like, it has been said, if you, uh, if you commit adultery, right, you have sinned. He's like, but I say, if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, and you're like, golly, now we're, now we're doing thoughts included with actions. That's next level right there. But Jesus' answer is not an accurate 70 times seven. What he's telling Peter is you always forgive. You always forgive. You always forgive. And if you're anything like me, I'm always looking for an excuse as to why not. I, I don't forgive. So let's look at the parable. The parable has a duality of purpose like many of Jesus' parables, right? It's a story. It's a, it's a double entendre. He's saying something without saying something. It's, it's 1980s R&B and hip hop. It's poetry. He's teaching us about God and the kingdom and how to operate on earth as it is in heaven, okay? Don't mistake that this teaching is about God first. Jesus is teaching us about his father first and then us. It's about God first, then us. If we go into the word looking for how I can be changed, then I'm looking at it through the wrong lens because I'm here to tell you today, the Bible is not written to us. It was written for us. Okay, and I have to look at the text to understand who God is first and foremost before I start trying to apply scriptures to my life. So let's look at it. Verse 23. Actually, the first sentence reveals to us uh, the story and how we should respond. Verse 23, let's see if we can get that up here. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. The first thing we see here, the kingdom of heaven has a king, and newsflash, you are not that king, okay? In case you were wondering, you come in today, and you was like, I wonder if I'm the king or the servant in this scenario here. Well, you're not the king, okay? See, I don't know which one you are, but I'll tell you which one you're not, okay? You're not the king, okay? So close your Bible and go home. Um, the second thing we see in this, very, very, this one verse, there's a king who is the charge of the kingdom, and there is a debt that is owed him. There is a debt that is owed him, and he is going to settle that debt. He wished to settle the accounts. He wished to settle the accounts. Now let's look at verse 24. It says, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. When you read this, did you automatically know exactly how much money that was? Come on, dude. You're on up on your drachmas and denarius in here? See in the Bible. I, just, I don't know either. I had to look it up, okay? So in New Testament times, a talent was about 6,000 drachmas, Right? You got that? Yeah. Got it, right? Okay. This is this'll help. This is better. A common laborer earned one denarius a day. Does that help? James got it. He's a financial guru, right? He knows what somebody try to pay you in denarius, right? Okay. This was equal to about $15 an hour. Okay? It's pretty good. But now imagine this. an hour at 2,000 hours a year. That's assuming you work 40 hours a week, okay? That's 30,000. That's 30,000 denarius, and a talent equals 600,000. So it took him a year to make 30,000 denarius, and and a talent is 600,000. And he owed the guys 10,000 talents. Is it starting to make more sense now? It's about $6 billion. That's the equivalent of $6 billion. When you read that stuff, like, we didn't get it. We didn't get it. But if it was like he wished to settle accounts and this guy owed him $6 billion, you'd be like, $6 billion? How do you even approach that debt threshold? Right? How do you accrue that much debt? billion. Look, if somebody owes you money, are you going to keep letting them borrow money from you? You already owe me 50 bucks, man. I don't know, man. And just strike out a couple hundred more. No, right? How did this guy get this massive debt? How did he get this debt? Basically what Jesus is saying, just like he told Peter 70 times seven, it's like you always forgive. What he's telling the disciples here is, There was absolutely no way this guy could pay this back. Regardless of how he accrued the debt, there was no way he could pay that debt back. But then let's look at what he says in verse 25 to 27. He says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees He changed his posture. He humbled himself. And imploring him, basically asking, pleading with the king. He changed his posture. He pleaded with the king. And he asked for mercy. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. There ain't no way he could pay it. And out of pity... For him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He forgave him the debt. He showed mercy. Do you guys know the difference between grace and mercy? Grace is God giving you something that you don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving you something that you do deserve. This guy's debt not only affected him, but his wife was going to go to jail. And his kids were going to jail. And everything he had was going to be sold. His debt affected his entire family. And the master showed mercy. The king showed mercy on him and forgave him the debt. Now, the reason why I love this passage, I didn't love it at first because I I started feeling some kind of way about it. But as the more I read it, the more I can see this was Jesus, this was Jesus, not only reminding the disciples of God's atonement in the past, but this is him foreshadowing his atonement on the cross. See, the king forgave the debt, but the debt didn't just go away. Don't just go away. You owe somebody $6 billion. That was $6 billion that was paid out. Who's going to eat the debt? If he forgave him, then the king had to do it himself, right? Somebody had to atone for the dead. In Old Testament times, God would meet with the priest, the high priest in the the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and he would meet with them once a year, and he would meet at a place uh, on the Ark of the Covenant called the Mercy Seat, and this was the covering of the Ark. This was the covering, and this is derived from the Hebrew word for atonement which is covering. And God's atonement is his reconciliation to mankind. Atonement required a substitution. The debt does not go away. It has to be paid. And if the king forgave the servant of his debt, then somebody had to pay for the debt. Somebody had to pay for the debt. This was a foreshadow of what Jesus would do on the cross. Somebody's going to have to pay this debt. We are all going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I promise you, uh, as sure as I'm standing here, there is nobody that's going to be able to go there and vouch for you. We will all have to stand before the king. You won't be able to be like my mom back there and be like, this is my baby boy and he did nothing wrong. Never did anything. It's my baby boy. That ain't going to happen. Okay? Yes, I'm 40. And my mom still likes to call me baby boy. She's been put on probation for it many times. So I said, Mom, I'm married and 40 years old. You can't call me baby boy. She's like, okay. So I called her up a couple months back. I was like, Mom, I'm in a bind. I need about $500. She said, all right, what do you want to do? Venmo it? What, what do you need? I was like, you know what? That was a heart check. Just want to see where you're at. Didn't need the money. I said, but I tell you what, you just earned yourself four baby boys in public for that right there. I'm not playing. Look, she was like, she, you would have thought I gave her $500. She was so excited. She was so happy. So then I go into my office here to church, and uh, there was a sticky note, a little post-it note that said, I love you, baby boy. So I said something later on that week. I said, I saw that message. You got three left. She said, no, I didn't. I didn't say baby boy. I said, you got two left. Keep going. You're going... <laughs> She was like, no, it was in public. I didn't say the phrase. It was written down. I was like, keep messing around. You're going to lose them all right here in this five-minute conversation, right? It's true. And if y'all want baby boys, you're going to have to do something. I'm going to have to see where your heart's at, okay? We owe a debt that we cannot pay, and God's great mercy and patience in withholding the punishment that we deserve, Okay, we are all going to have to stand before the king and give an account. He wishes to settle accounts with his servants. And you have an account that is accrued debt, a sin debt that you cannot pay. And 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 ain't no amount of baby boys on a post-it note gonna do it for him. But you know what did it for the you know what did it for the king? You're justified in whatever you do. I owe you. But please have mercy on me. Please forgive me. I'll try to pay it. I'll try to do right. But I can't. Please forgive me. He changed his posture. He humbled himself. And the king said, you know what? I have pity on you. Even though we owe, this is the first thing we can learn about God. Even though we owe a debt we can't pay, his great mercy and patience in withholding the punishment that we deserve. Look at Romans six twenty three: The wages of sin is death, your wage. What you get from sin is death. But for some reason, we think we get something different from sin, right? We go into it thinking we're going to get something else. Like, no, nope, that's what you get. This is the payment, When you show up on Friday trying to get your sin checked, here's what you get, death. But, you want to hear something? Because we don't physically die, we believe this verse is a lie. Because we don't... I didn't die the last time I sinned. You might not have died physically, but I promise you there is relational and, and spiritual death that we die when we partake in sin. The wages of sin is death, but... I love that word, but... When you hear but in a sentence, you can hang up, forget everything somebody just said. I love that shirt, Calvin. But. (laughs) Right? And then you're like, oh, no, what's coming next, right? But think about it in this context. The wages of your sin is death. But. But. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It may be a free gift for me, but somebody had to pay for it. Somebody had to pay for it. Now let's look at 28 and through 34. This is where social justice really kicks in, right? This is where we're like, let's cancel this guy. He should. This is when you're reading the story and you're like, that wicked servant, why would he do that? But when that same servant, the same guy that just got forgiven of $6 billion, went out, he found one of his fellow servant that owed him 100 denarii, 30 bucks. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. They, I would be stressed out if I watched somebody get choked over $30 too. Think about it. Every one of us is hoping for justice for this guy. How can you be so, how can you be like that? Until we read the story and we realize That's me. That's you. That's us. We're that guy. We're that guy. We have been forgiven of an incredible debt and for some reason we think the petty little things that people do to us are worth us withholding forgiveness and showing mercy. Walking around choking each other out over $30. Over dumb stuff. I didn't like the way she said my name earlier. Right? Everybody got their feelings all out, man. You were responsible for your own feelings. Right? I was uh, sharing with the early gathering that... um, I said, I go see somebody and I almost called her a therapist, but then I realized y'all were going to think something about me if I say I'm in therapy, but then I, just, I couldn't find the word. I was looking for counseling, right? Or a paid advisor. That's what Barbie said. You used to say, paid advisor. There's some paid advisor, right? And she would advise me on how to deal with people. because, like, some people's like, this is the worst one. They're like you made me feel like, and I'm like, I didn't make you feel like nothing, right? Have you ever had somebody, have you ever told somebody you made me feel this way? Or they said, they, or they make you feel some kind of way. Nobody can make you feel any kind of way. And so she showed me this thing to do, and it almost felt like weird the first time I did it to somebody in, to their face. Like, it was terrible. And she was like, you need to take that off of you and put it back on them, because you're not going to wear that. And so somebody said, you made me feel this way. And I literally did it. I said, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I was like... <laughs> I literally did that. And they were like, What is, like, that you're making it worse? And I was like, I'm sorry that you feel like that. It's you. You are the one with feelings, not me. I don't, I'm not feeling it, right? And look, if y'all leave this message and y'all start doing that to each other, I swear, y'all owe me money because I had to pay for that information, okay? Okay, <laughs> hey, that's good. That'll help you out of your life. That's real good. Might help me out, too, depending on how many of y'all do it. <laughs> I don't even know where I was at. Oh. Um, no, that's us. God has forgiven us of so much, and we want to act some kind of way towards other people. Why do we do this? Why did the guy do this? Look, at, look, look back at the, at the scenario. The guy had just gotten forgiven, right? And then he turns around, and he goes to this guy that owes him a petty little amount of money, and, he, and he's unmerciful to him. Why? Like, where did, we, where did he go wrong in that? Why did he act that way? Well, there's a couple of, there's a couple of things, a couple of possible scenarios, okay? Uh, one is, um, the first one is, um, it's different excuse. This is the it's different excuse. So their debt is different than mine, okay? We all like to think that our sin is different or the temptations we struggle with. That's the worst struggle. I'm struggling right now, brother. Um, our struggles are different than somebody else's, right? I, I get that I owed a lot of money, but that was different. Like I was trying to start a business and like I had a really good idea. This guy just spent it on, on uh, he went and got beer with his money, right? Yeah, I say it quietly, beer. He went and got beer with his Right? It wasn't my fault I got into debt. He made bad choices. There's a quote by Stephen M.R. Covey that says that we like to judge ourselves by our best intentions and we judge others by their worst actions. We judge ourselves by our best intentions. I meant well. Well, uh, my mom used to tell me the road to hell is paved with good intentions, son. You, can, you said it a couple of times, ma. She said, when I say that, oh, you said it. <laughs> the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You can mean well. Lots of people mean well. Lots of philanthropists mean well. People that give to charity mean well. Right? Good intentions don't really matter in the end. I can have all of the best intentions in doing the wrong thing. Right? I told you guys sometimes I struggle, like I have something good to say to somebody, but I have a problem wrapping presents. Any guys in here have trouble wrapping presents, right? And it could be a really good gift, but you see that wrapping paper and you're like, gosh, I don't want that. I've struggled with have I have a really positive thing to say to you and the way I'll say it, it's like, gosh, I don't want that. My intentions were well meaning. I meant to say it in a way that was, would not hurt you. <laughs> but somewhere along the line, I, I missed. I missed it. The, uh, the next possible scenario for why he was so unmerciful is the obligation excuse. Just because he forgave me doesn't mean that I got to forgive him. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It's literally not what the word says. But we do that. We do that. We got to stop looking for loopholes. We got to stop looking for a way out. That's a possibility of what I don't think that's what Peter was doing, but that's definitely what the Pharisees always used to do when they would come to Jesus, with these little trick questions. They were looking for a way out. They were looking for loopholes. They was looking to try to catch him. Right? You say we follow them, you know, uh, or, or even when he met the woman at the well. Well, the Jews say we worship on this mountain, and our people say we worship on this mountain. Which is it? And Jesus, is like, look, there's a day coming where you won't worship here or there, but true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. They were always looking for loopholes. This goes back to Peter's original question. <laughs> Three times? Nay, nay. Seven times. Jesus is like, yeah, seven times, Peter. The next possible scenario, here's, here's another one. I'm only human. I know I flipped out. I know I probably should not have choked the guy in public. There was a lot of people that was like concerned about that. Because apparently there were people around. Look, they were greatly distressed. You would be stressed out too if you saw somebody out here in the church parking lot getting choked out. And I don't know, it, it might have been like MMA or it might have been like Bart Simpson. Like, but Jesus said he got choked. I didn't write this. This is literally Jesus told this story. He said the guy choked him out over, uh, over 100 denarii. And, and, and he, did, he begged and pleaded, and everybody else was like, whoa. So maybe maybe I was a little harsh, but I'm only human. We all have bad days. But having a bad day is not an excuse to take it out on somebody else. You don't have permission to take it out on other people. I'm so guilty of that. And usually the people you take it out on are the people that are closest to you. You go home and take it out on your wife or you're rude to your kids. And they're just asking you, do you know why hippos do that?" And I'm like, I don't care about no hippo. Kids ask me the craziest questions. Dad, 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 did you know there's tree fogs in North Carolina? <laughs> no, I did not know. Right? But then later on, I'm up here giving a message. Did you guys know? And in North Carolina, right, trying, to, trying to pass it off like I got some you know, sage advice, right? And I was frustrated with my kids. No, we take it out on other people. And what is it's justification after the fact. Justification after the fact. I remember Pastor Kevin did a, a message, it's been many moons ago, I don't know exactly when, but he put all these stones up here on the, on the, um, the platform, right? And we came and we got the stones, right? And we prayed over it and, and we, dro- we all dropped our stones down here at the altar, you, some of you remember that, right? But somewhere between that sermon and now, we've either came back to the altar to pick up stones or we went outside and found new ones to throw at people. Somewhere between then and now, we found new stones or we came back and got the old ones. And sometimes you're not even throwing them at other people. You spend all of your time throwing it at yourself. Throwing them at yourself. So what can we learn about ourselves in this parable? Unless we are merciful to others, not giving them what they do deserve, God's mercy has not had a changing effect on our lives. If we don't show the same mercy shown to us, God's God's mercy has not had a changing effect on our lives. Let me share this with you. Let me tell you guys a few things forgiveness is not, okay? Forgiveness is not a feeling. If you wait until you feel like forgiving somebody, you probably won't forgive somebody, because I don't feel like it most. Most of the times I have to forgive somebody, I don't feel like it. Is it just me? You're like, oh man, whatever. I'm sorry, I guess. You'd be like my wife. She's like, I'm from Missouri. You're going to show me. I'm from the show me state. <laughs> she don't really say that, but I'm, look, and this ain't in the notes. But some people, um, you've heard of the love languages, right? Right, Some, you need to realize there are apology languages too. Somebody that's not a words of affirmation person, but are an acts of service person in the way they show and receive love. You coming to them and pleading, talking about "I'm so sorry," it doesn't matter to them because they see action. That's how they know they're loved. Somebody that's a, that's a, a personal, a physical touch person, a hug and an embrace, and a, and a genuine apology will mean more than all is right in the world now. So apology languages are a real thing too. Forgiveness is not pretending you're not hurt or affected by it. It's not acting like you're not hurt. Jesus was not fake about his feelings. Jesus was not pretentious about the way he felt. But guess what? He didn't move based on his emotions. And a lot of times we make permanent decisions based on a temporary emotion. And if we would just pause and ponder... And allow God to use that emotions. Don't act like you're not feeling some kind of way, but process that through the Holy Ghost so that your response is appropriate. Look at John uh, 11, 35. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Matter of fact, let you know, Jesus felt, he cried, he was sad. He had to go through grief and process emotions. Then one of my all-time favorites, uh, John 2, 15 through 16 and making a whip of cords. Do you know how long it takes to make a whip? They have no idea. I'm fishing to wear them out with this thing right here. I'm to wear them out right here. Look, I got it tied up. Get out, I'm putting two beads on the end of this one. That's what I see when I read my Bible. Make a, you read your Bible any kind of way. He made a whip of cords, however it happened. He made a whip. couldn't have been he went out and got a little piece. I don't know. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. He was angry at what they'd done in the church. The people were required to come from wherever they at. They were required to travel to the temple, and some of them didn't have an unbel- lamb or two doves or whatever the sacrifice was. And when they would get there, they would jack the price up and price gouge these people because they had to have the sacrifice and they would wear them out. And Jesus was like, absolutely not. This is not what we're doing in the church. He was angry, but he processed it and dealt with it in in a way that was appropriate. He didn't act like it didn't happen. He wasn't fake about it. So forgiveness is not pretending you're it forgiveness is not not pretending that you're not affected by it. Does that make sense? I know it doesn't, but you get it in your sir. The Holy Spirit will work to that. I don't know how to say that sentence. Forgiveness is not condoning other people's actions. It's not condoning other people's actions. Forgiveness is not automatically trusting them again. You don't, just, you don't just forgive somebody that punched you in the face or choked you out, right? And then you just let them keep coming over for barbecue at the house. No, you're on probation. You punched me, dude. <laughs> Forgiveness is not relieving them of responsibility for their actions. It is, however, it is allowing the king to sort it out. They allowed the king to sort it out. They went back to the king and told the king what happened. And I don't care. You can go tell God on me. I wish you would tell God on me. Please don't tell God on me. Why did I just say that? (laughs) I'll tell Kevin on you if you tell God on me as soon as he gets back. Tell on all y'all. But let's read verse 35. Look at how Jesus closes this out. Look at how Jesus closes this out in verse 35. So... Also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus closes out the parable by saying, God's going to allow what you allow. You want to be unmerciful? Guess what? He He can be unmerciful to you. If you show mercy and forgiveness... He can show mercy and forgiveness to you. But guess what? The mercy and forgiveness we show should be a response to the mercy and forgiveness we've already seen, not a way to obtain mercy. We don't show mercy and forgiveness so that we get it. We have been given it, so now we show it. You know what I'm saying? And golly, this guy was so close. Forgiveness is from the heart, your mind, will, and emotions. And a transformed heart must result in a changed life that offers the same mercy and forgiveness we have received from the Lord. Worship team, you could come out. Man, this guy was so close. This servant was so close. And there's so many times where I feel like I'm right there. But being so close is not being there. When I realize I'm the one showing unforgiveness... Like, I'm putting myself on the throne. If this king has forgiven me of such a great debt, who am I to withhold mercy and forgiveness over petty occurrences in life? The guy was right there. And as I'm reading through it, I was reminded of a poem by a man named Ezekiel Azanwu called Almost. And it goes something like this. (laughs) One of the most dangerous words in English diction. If it could be translated into audio, it would sound like... ...from the saxophone of Lisa Simpson. Two words combined and strategically designed to create one of the biggest oxymorons in the history of mankind. All most. Because see, as far as the world's concerned, you can live your life foul and you could almost get away with murder if you have a nice smile. You could almost meet somebody just to almost sleep around, and you can almost go to your local clinic where you almost had a child. See, almost is no stranger to Satan. Here's proof. He only tells lies when it's almost the truth, and it's amazing. In our incompleteness, we find complacency. So if almost is one of Lucifer's many traits, then we're mighty good at Satan impersonations. But on the contrary, Christ did his job fully when he died on the cross like it was his duty and pardoned my iniquities, which I committed rudely and resurrected from the grave just to tell death to excuse me. But excuse me, this is your life. And that's something I cannot impose on. But your body is God's home, which is alone to get foreclosed on. See, an almost Christian looks right but lives wrong. We can't stand the conviction in Romans, so we sit down to be comforted in psalms. Never understood worship, but we love to sing psalms like, I surrender almost. Because it's far too expensive for you to spend your life on something that doesn't appeal to your five senses. See, nowadays, Christianity is like a a Louis Vuitton rag. No functional use, but we'd rock it because it's stylish. Not righteous, but right-ish. So now all God sees is a pile of Ishmael's when he intended for Isaac's. We're moved by how we feel, so we're saved when we feel like it. So no wonder we've never really been saved, we merely tried it. No wonder we're never sold out, because we returned it after we buy it. Let me break it down, because you need to be aware that your life can lack the very standards that need to be there. Because on that final day of judgment, when God's receiving his heir, will he say, Son, well done, or medium rare. Because even by worldly standards, it would be highly insane for you to spend all of your money days before you almost got paid. Parents, would you really send your kids to a school that's almost safe? Ladies, would you really date a man that claims he's almost straight? But this is the very thing about God that we all try to get around. Standards are between two mountains. There's no middle ground. So a halfway life is unprofitable to you because after all of these Sunday services, Bible studies, prayer meetings, and everything that comes in between, God would say, I never knew you. But that's not even the worst part about living your life as neutral. It's that you was once arctic, but it's your warmness that's causing him to spew you. And this is the very thing that had me bound and held down by the unforgiving gravity of my spiritual reality See I was a Christian or at least I portrayed the fantasy With a filthy personal life and a god bless you brother. How you doing sister personality? I was a male Enveloped by sin because I was stamped a sinner. I said I was a male Enveloped by sin because I was stamped a sinner My message could not be received because I didn't represent the sender, yet I was almost delivered until that one day when I absolutely, totally, and completely surrendered, I took heed to a modern prophet that proclaimed, it's time for change. Now, I'm no longer bound to sin, point blank, off the chain. You can ask Umar Abdul Muttalib, and he would tell you the same. You don't almost go to jail if you almost blow up a plane, just like you don't almost go to hell if you almost got saved. Despise the cross on which he was slain. (laughs) That's the cause for which he came. But don't worry, I'm almost done. But before I leave this stage, We have all worked in sin and death was minimum wage. I said, we've all worked in sin and death was minimum wage. But if it wasn't for Christ, we would have almost got paid. We have been forgiven a debt that we had no ability to pay. And we're walking around here Holding $30 over people's heads. Let us be a people that reflect the king in showing mercy. I don't care if they if they deserve it or not. He didn't say the guy deserved it or didn't deserve it. He said, show mercy. If your father showed you mercy, we show mercy, especially when they don't deserve it. So this morning as we worship, I'll ask my elders, my prayer leaders, anybody that's going to come down here and minister that as we worship, you search your heart. No, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart, to touch those places that we have been unmerciful towards others and towards ourselves. And, we, and let's pray that as we move out into this world, people are going to wrong us that we prepare ahead of time to show mercy. We intend to put our hearts in a position to show mercy before we've been wronged so that when that situation arrives, we may walk in it. So we're gonna worship, we're gonna pray. If I could get my prayer leaders to come down here.